Happy New Year, everyone. And with every new year, a new opportunity to focus on our health. This podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Last year, you all know that I took the reins back on my health. And Athletic Greens has been a keystone to making that happen. I've been using Athletic Greens over the last year in my smoothie every morning. One tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multi-mineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. All of that combined is designed to fill any nutritional gaps in your diet. Not only has this increased my energy levels, but it's also helped my immune system overall. It's lifestyle friendly whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting your immune system during this crazy time. They're offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Basically, you'll never have to buy vitamin D ever again. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash loved and join health experts, athletes, and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash loved and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs today. And now back to our show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radically Loved Radio. It is season six. Insert clap track and hurries here. (laughs) that's tessa Tessa clapping in front of so we are in the home studio today so we're not at mod pod uh but there will be plenty of visits to mod pod studio this season so we're very excited about that everybody listening happy new year it is january the 8th and it is friday your uh regular radically loved podcast drop and tessa is here with us Hello, everyone. Yes, we are here together. 2021. (laughs) That sounded that sounded so like anticlimactic. Yes, Yes. we are here. It's like (laughs) New Year, same us type Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was trying to figure this out with Tori. So I'd love to hear what you and Jorge did for New Year's because. I would love to share how I spent my New Year's. You go first. Oh, I was going to say you go first. (laughs) I knew you were. That's why I was like, I will preempt this. Uh, Well, it was so uneventful. Like most people out there, I'm sure I was struggling to stay awake. It was like 930. (laughs) And um, in, in Mexico, New Year's Day is it's like a very family oriented event. So I was trying to stay awake until midnight Mexico time, which is only 10 o'clock. (laughs) <laughs> but 
because they have this dinner at when the clock strikes midnight. So we called the family and we talked to them and they're making like pozole and atole and tamales and all of the, these amazing yummy foods. And um, so we talked to the family and uh, what do we watch? We watched the last season episode of Yellowstone. Oh, which like blew my mind. And now I have all these questions, which for all those people out there who are watching it, I will not spoil it for you, but I have so many questions. Oh my goodness. <laughs> have you, that's of the, of the most recent season, right? I, well, the last one that I had available was season three. Is that yeah. what we're on? Okay, yes. So yeah. Season yeah. three. Yeah. yeah. So good. Right. I love, that's one of my favorite <sighs> shows right now. Yellowstone. Oh my gosh. It's especially, so good. It's so good. Especially after Tori and I went to Montana in September. Oh, yeah. Um, we were just obsessed. We were like fantasizing what, it, what, what it would be like to live in Montana, which has become quite a frequent conversation for Tori and I, not Montana, but moving. Yeah. Somewhere like that. That's just yes. surrounded by open, beautiful space, <sighs> and horses and gorgeousness. <laughs> I mean, even you get it up in Vancouver, right? Like you get to be in the Pacific Northwest. Um, <laughs> did I you mean, just see what I did? Um, like this? Yeah. Know, maybe your hand went out of the in shot. The in the Pacific Northwest, like where you get to just have this incredible greenery as you're, you know, going outdoors or just being in this lush space. I know right now it's probably raining, yeah. but I'm saying that oh, because, yeah. <laughs> because it's like in the, in the valley, in the valley, you know, I live in the valley. Um, I always say that I still <laughs> resent living in the valley. That's another conversation. We'll have it another time. I, uh, but yeah, like I've been running every day and it's hard to be running. I was just telling this, I was just talking to Tori about this, how every time I'm running out on the sidewalks, all I'm thinking about in my head is being out on a trail or in, you know, in, in forest park or in up in near Santa Cruz by the epic redwood trees. I'm just constantly, that is the visual that I have in my mind. And so when I'm, you know, in a street, <laughs> all I can smell is like car exhaust and yeah. people smoking cigarettes and, mm -hmm you know, people, car, car paint smells, you know, I'm just like, uh, oh, this is really getting to a place in, in my soul where I, I just, I'm, I'm ready for, I'm ready for something, something new, you know? Yeah. Something a little closer to nature. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, living in Portland was always such a dream of mine. Mm. And once it came true, it was, uh, it was so incredible, but look, I mean, the mind always wants what's better. And when I was in living in Portland, I mean, look, I was happy and, and I love being up there, but I would constantly fantasize about being back in LA. And I would think mm -hmm. about the sun and the palm trees and being around my family and seeing my friends and, you know, all of those things. But yeah, when I'm here, all I think about is going up there and, and, you know, being able to, yeah, go to my creature comforts. There's this thing that happens when I, the minute, and I've talked about this before, I think the minute I fly into PDX and I look down and I start to see the fields of green, I start to get so excited. And there's just this feeling of relaxation 
that goes over me where I just feel, and maybe it's just seeing the space that makes me feel like, like I can just uh, sigh it out and just be like, okay, put everything on the table. How do I, how do I get organized? And that's really a a kin feeling. I get any time I am in nature, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Not to make you jealous or anything, but (laughs) I ran forest park this morning and there, there's nothing like that. I mean, mean, such a return to so grounding it's it clears my head it it makes me feel connected to whatever and it also makes me feel like okay I can do this day whatever challenges come my way you know I can I can do it I love that that's really good okay well talking about doing (laughs) this day we have uh we have a great great incredible guest today and before we let everybody know who that is I just wanted to take a quick moment to check in with everybody that's listening. And I just want to thank you all for, for still being here. We eclipsed over a million downloads a year ago, and we're heading towards our next big uh, threshold. And I am just, I still can't believe it. And I'm just super, super grateful for all of you that are here and continue to listen to the show and give us feedback. And I just want to say thank you for supporting us. And as those of you that have been following the podcast since we started back in, really it was the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, it was a labor of love and it very much still is, even though our team has expanded and now we have producers and we've got coordinators, we've got a bit, a little bit of a bigger team. And now obviously with Tessa being here with us as well, I just want to continue to provide as much value for you, the listener. So I just want you to know that we are still here for all of you. We're still trying our best to give you a format that works for you and information that you want. So please continue to give us your feedback. Do you have anything you want to add to us? Well, I just, I, you know, there's so many incredible guests, past, present, coming up. I mean, just looking <gasps> at the roster for season six, I'm, I'm like so sh- excited for everyone. I'm not going to drop any news, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even just thinking about our episode today, it's every time I listen, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me that we're surpassing the million marker and, and just continuing to grow because there's incredible guests and, um, and then the way that you have such a real honest, raw conversation and and really bring yourself to the picture just doesn't surprise me. So I'm happy to be a part of it. Thank you. Uh, Well, I'm so grateful for you and, and you know this already, but before we go there now, I, I would love to know, you know, we had our conversation over the, the holidays, uh, that people just listen to our earth life lessons. I'm curious if you're feeling differently about setting an intention for this year. And if you did set one, what was it? <laughs> um, I do have an intention for the year. It is very like tangible and practical. And that is to not, uh, buy anything new. 
um, for the next 40 days. And I did that specifically because I think that we put so much pressure on ourselves to maintain a, an intention for the entire year. So I like to, sh to set uh, shorter, more attainable goals and then kind of assess um, at that marker, like, okay, now what do I set myself a budget? You know, if I'm going to buy something new, then I have maybe a hundred dollars a month. So that's what I'm working with for the new year. That's my intention. Um, and does it feel different? I think was the other question. It kind of does to me. I feel hopeful in a mm. lot of different ways. I feel really hopeful about this year. And I know that it's not like, we're not going to snap our fingers and everything's going to be better back to normal. And it's not going to change overnight, but I just feel like there's so much good, um, that's in the works. And I just feel like things will start to be a little bit more free, a little bit more open and um, continue to change for the better. Awesome. Oh, I love that so much. Well, that being said, I, I will, I will, I wasn't going to say anything until next week, but I guess I'll just tell everybody we're doing a 75 days of wellness uh, ritual. So 75 days is a long time to commit. I keep, I kept seeing all these like challenges and this challenge and that challenge. And I'm like, I don't want to this. It's already a challenge to just be a vertical sometimes. I mean, <laughs> how much more, how much more shit do we need? You know, I'm just like, okay, so 75 days of wellness is really us being able to achieve wellness during one of the most hardest times in our recent history. I mean, instead of being focused on doing something for 30 days or 21 days or whatever, I figured focusing on little things for a long period of time will create uh, our inability to, to see something actually come to fruition, um, you know, to the best of your ability. So it's really a, a invitation not a challenge to do your best so that we can find a place of, of peace, joy, and happiness. So every day you can do something that nurtures wellness. Every day you can do a small thing to infuse health and happiness into your life. And we can begin to eliminate the stresses of the world. So it's going to be really fun. It's totally free. And we have our first meeting. It's going to be via Zoom. You have to register for it. So I will put the link in the show notes of this episode. It's going to be Friday, January 22nd at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, I believe it will be available. So if you can't be there, they will be recorded. And I will let you guys know where you can watch that if you can't make it on that day. It's not required, but it's nice to just see how many people or who's who in the community is is wanting to do this this uh, the 75 days of wellness. I'm I'm actually really excited. There's going to be an ebook available also for free, so I'll put the link to that. Uh, that won't be actually live until next week, uh, Friday the 15th. So just stay tuned. Sign up for the newsletter if you want more information. But just definitely um, mark your calendars for, uh, if you're wanting to commit to something, you know, it's really about creating rituals. It's about connecting to what wellness is for you. And for me, it's something that really worked well last year. This was in the interim of all of the stuff that I was doing with, you know, doing the clarity cleanse and doing all my allergy food testing and doing all of those things. I, I realized that just doing one little thing every day really helped me get to a place where I felt really connected to my body and my health. And it just made me feel 
like I was back to, to me. So this is what I created. I hope that you guys enjoy it. And Tess is going to do it and she's going to love it. Right, Tess? I always love everything you create. <laughs> I mean, I, seriously, <laughs> actually, you know, when you, when I think back about when you created Radically Loved, the podcast radio, that was the year I met you, I believe. And it's just yes. incredible to think about in parallel, my trajectory, my life just went, whoa, way off in a direction that I just had no idea. And it's exciting to see it continue to unfold. So, well, that's yeah. awesome. I'm yeah, excited. I'm, I'm excited too. So more, more to come on that. And those of you that follow me on social media, you can always check out more information there. Okay. So today I'm looking at Sahara's face right now on her, her little picture on, on her, Aww. on her little press She's release. So, so gorgeous. I mean, this girl is so incredible. I mean, I, I really just don't, I, there's nobody else who I know that can generate as much, uh, just goodness and content in the world than this girl. And I remember having this conversation with her at the inception of this idea via our like group friend thread. And to see it go from, I have an idea, I'm going to do some research, I'm going to start writing, I'm pitching this idea, I've sold this book, I'm writing this book to now it's here is just so, it's exciting, you know, it's super exciting. And I am just, I'm so honored to be able to introduce you guys to her work, you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of you have heard Sahara on the, on the podcast before, but this book is really her life's work. It's called discover your Dharma, a Vedic guide to finding your purpose. And she takes the age old question of why we are here and breaks it down into fundamental answers, leaving us knowing ourselves better than ever before. So she doesn't BS in any of it. She's very colloquial in her approach. And it is such a great, I, I told her this, actually, I gave her this feedback. Obviously it's like when your friend writes a book or somebody that, you know, writes a book. I mean, when you wrote your poetry book, I mean, I was so excited. I read that thing from cover to cover, you okay. know, but it's like when somebody, you know, writes something for me anyway, I want to, I want to read. I want to know them more. I want to, I want to see what they created. And mm -hmm. I came into this just thinking, oh, I'm just reading my friend's book, obviously with the ignorance of my own ego thinking I have nothing to learn. Right. Oh. So mm -hmm. I totally called myself out on that. I even told her this. I'm like, you know, I thought I had it all like, oh, this is, this is awesome. My friend wrote a book. I'm going to read it. Not thinking like there's going to be some information in here that's going to serve me and my highest. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, a nice surprise. And both of us, you know, come from immigrant families and she goes into this journey on how, when she decided to follow what was her calling, she didn't have the support of her family. And I think that, that really is going to resonate for a lot of people, you know, and she talks about discovering your soul's purpose. She talks about the difference between being on and off track. She talks about the doshas, uh, the, the different archetypes. And it really is a book that I feel like every single person who is looking for what they need should read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's so I, you know, I love the the way she takes such an ancient practice and mm -hmm. philosophy and, um, and really makes it accessible for a modern day because I remember learning about Ayurveda and feeling like, okay, 
I kind of get it, but it's such a huge topic and and a lot of the the concepts and the themes or even just thinking about cooking with Ayurveda, which her cookbook is amazing. It can be a little overwhelming to wrap your head around. So I really appreciate how it's like, no, this is still applicable. Actually, it's more applicable today and here's how you apply it and here's how it works for your life. I love how yeah. she says, Oh my goddess too. Oh, I know. She, I love <laughs> you. Oh my goddess. And she's got like, you know, her rose got rose gold goddesses. Yes. Like she is just in this. She is a really down to earth, genuine, authentic, loving, uh, enthusiastic being. Oh, that was like our little country. I was literally just starting. I'm like, Oh, look, the universe agrees with us. I'm yes. so, so excited to share this conversation with you all. Sahara Rose is the most prolific writer and uh, I don't know, like what, what could you say? She is the most inspiring person of her decade, I think. I, I think so. She's so, she's, I don't even know how old she is. She just seems like timeless. She somehow. is you so I mean? timeless. Like, I yes. Even be able to look at her and be like, oh, she looks like she's 25 or she's 30 or, or whatever, because she has such a youthful, vibrant. I feel like <laughs> she will have that youthful vibrancy exactly. her literally entire life. I've yes. met her mother. Trust me. Like her same. mom, like same genes. Like they yeah. just have that timeless, hmm. classy, but sassy energy. Classy, but sassy. <laughs> So I, I'm so excited for everybody listening, please. Uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think without further ado. Here is Sahara Rose. Who better to guide us into discovering our purpose than one of my dearest and closest friends on this planet, Sahara Rose. Welcome. I don't know why I just got a little of the Oh my goddess. I'm so grateful to be here. What a journey. I mean, you really saw the process of this book from like idea to book proposal, to book deal, to writing it, to rewriting it, to getting it out to the cover. So you witnessed this baby come to life. I did. I did. I witnessed your birth and it was inspiring and also terrifying at the same time. (laughs) Like all births are, right? You're like, that's beautiful. And holy shit, how is that happening? Yeah. Yeah. I know. And just, you know, I am so, you know, already how grateful I am for you, but just really your, your, your full transparency during this whole process has been just so helpful just for myself in, in also this process, like you sharing all the ups and the downs equally to just show, I think it was so metaphorical, especially after reading your book and, and just seeing your story play out and just seeing all the different tools that you put in there for us to be able to exercise those things out for ourselves. I think it was so metaphorical for, for you to really share that experience with us and how our Dharma path is not a straight line right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, here you are now, it's done. Now you get to sort of reap the benefits of the experience of talking about it. And now you get to, to do this part of it, which to me always is the fun, right? It's the exciting because you're already done and you get to talk about your baby and share the baby pictures, right? 
I mean, yeah, you got to make sure that baby has a good life now. (laughs) (laughs) It's like they handed you the child. Good luck. Bye-bye. No. I mean, but isn't that like any, any project, any career job, whatever it is that we do, we're so excited and it's there. And then I think a lot of us, then it's handed to us and we're like, well, now what? It's not as exciting anymore because I loved applying for the job, not working the job. And it really just teaches us so much that living your Dharma is about showing up fully to any experience before you, even if that experience is working in a job that you don't totally love at that time or having to play a role with a family member or whatever else it is, it's how you show up to that thing that is your Dharma. Yeah. And in in the beginning of the book, you really, you talk about how everyone's purpose is to raise consciousness, right? Like that ultimately is the foundation to everyone's life and, and what we're here to do. So for for you in putting yourself in these different scenarios, because I know that you had to put yourself in these different scenarios to give us examples of the different types of, uh, of dharma, of archetypes that there are, um, for you realizing that ra- raising consciousness was part of your path, like how, how did that impact where you decided to go with that? Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that so many of us are like, what's my purpose? Why am I here? We've all asked this question at some time, but it's such a big question that we ask it and we don't hear the answer. We're like, okay, moving on. What am I going to have for dinner? And, you know, you just forget, but it's like, you know, being dropped off at a party and being like, huh, I wonder if they have salsa or guacamole instead of like, wait, why was I dropped off at this party? And you know, this life is not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It's not meaningless. But the path of finding what can give us meaning can feel so daunting that most of us give up. So in my own journey of finding that and refinding it and losing it and finding it again, the anchor I kept coming back to is I know for myself, I just want to help people. I know I'm here to help others. And as a child, I would look at, you know, who's helping others? Mother Teresa, Gandhi. Okay. I'll either become a nun or I'll do like a hunger strike. You know, I, I, you don't see examples of people helping in in these different ways. You think it has to be the sacrifice. So I thought, you know, if I just sacrifice my life the most and do the things no one else wants to do, then I can be of service and help others. And that's what the purpose of life is. So I see so many of us either do that, burn ourselves in the process and lose it, or feel like I'm never going to help. So in my own journey of working with human rights and going to school to study to become an international human rights lawyer and working with NGOs, I found myself in the cubicle at the NGO, literally hating what I was doing. I didn't feel like I was helping people. I didn't feel like I was using my gifts. And I honestly just felt like I was raising money for a fundraiser that wasn't even going to make a difference. And then here I was my whole life thinking, this is the pinnacle of helping people. And I'm feeling completely detracted from the very people I wanted to help. So I had no idea what my purpose was going to be. And I would literally ask everyone I met, like, so do you know my purpose? <laughs> like, do, do you have any idea? Because I just didn't know. I thought someone else had the solution or the key for me. I didn't have it. Yeah. And in that journey, I went through many different health issues, which led me to going on the process of learning how to heal myself, never thinking that was going to be an 
aspect of my career. My body went to perimenopause when I was 21 years old. So from not getting my period anymore to all of the symptoms around menopause, osteoporosis, um, lightheadedness, losing a lot of weight, not being able to digest food, and doctors prescribing me tons of different prescription medications to solve that, I wanted to get to what can I do to bring my body back into balance so I could just function like a normal human? That was literally my goal. So I became obsessed with learning everything I could about healing myself, which brought me to Ayurveda. Healing myself with Ayurveda and feeling, imagine if I could share this tool that has helped me bring my body back into balance so much. Imagine if I could share it with someone else. Because the more I would share of my journey of, you know, amenorrhea and digestive issues and being prescribed hormone replacement therapy, the more young girls would tell me doctors are doing the same thing for me. They're telling me I'm never going to be able to have a kid. They're telling me I'm also going to be handicapped by the time I'm 50 years old because my bone density is so low. And I so deeply wanted to share what I was learning, this Ayurvedic wisdom with others. So I decided, you know what, I'd, I'll write a book on it. Mm -hmm. And in that process of, you know, I'm just going to write a book on it. I shared that with my family and they were like, no, you are not going to write a book on it. Like, are you delusional? You, you Who do you think you are? Like, you know, you're, you're just going to be another starving artist. You're going to end up homeless. And at first I was like, yeah, maybe they're right. I don't, I don't really know. Maybe this is a huge risk. It's, I don't even know how I'm going to make money doing this. And every time I would step away and try to do the thing they'd point me to do, like apply to get your master's, become a real estate agent, become a pharmacist, this, that, I would try to do all of these things that they would tell me. And I felt that same just contractive breakdown feeling every time I was doing it. So at this point, I'm thinking, you know what is like, follow your dreams, this bullshit story they tell you when you're a kid and then you get older. It's like, <laughs> no, you still believe in that? No, that was like Santa Claus. <laughs> like you're supposed to grow out of that by the time you're like, 16 years old and applying to college. Yeah. And it made me question, do I even have a purpose? Is this some bullshit story they tell kids? Am I believing in this, you know, fairy tale version of my life? And is true life just working a job that you don't totally hate, but you could just kind of hate, you know, like my mom's like, what do you think other adults do? No one likes their job. That's what life is. So I was like, is she right? I've never, I've never done this before. Is she yeah. right? Or I could also see the way that they were living their lives. I'm like, I don't want to be anything like them. They're perpetually stressed. They're perpetually just, you know, something survival coming up for them. So it was in these years that I just went on this process of figuring out what are my beliefs? What are the beliefs I've held onto? And I share, you know, a specific fight in the story. Um, but it all brought me to this concept of trying to understand if I have a Dharma, what is Dharma? Does this exist? And then how do I find it? And then in the book now sharing the exact frameworks I put myself through to help others. Yeah. And which is so fascinating because, uh, as I was, you know, talking to you privately, even for somebody like me that I feel like, oh, my, I already know my dharma. I'm already living my purpose. You know, I, everything that I do is, is for this particular reason. But as I was going through the book and really asking myself those same questions and feeling like, well, but wait, this doesn't make me feel like how I'm supposed to feel, you know, that feeling of, oh, this doesn't light me up. This doesn't make me feel fully connected. So maybe there is 
you know, something else out there that I need to put my energy in. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you with regard to purpose or Dharma, like, can there be not different things? I know that, you know, you talk about it in the book, like, what if I like to, what if I want to do all of these different things? It's more about, do you, do you believe that Dharma goes in cycles? Like, do you think that people really love having this career and then maybe they, they do that for a couple of years and they grow out of it and then they want to do something else. Do you think that happens? Mm, yeah. So I share three archetypes of people in relation to their Dharma, the first types, and these are in relation to Ayurveda. Ayurveda ended up, you know, teaching me to heal my body. And that is now the lens in which I view life. And I share a lot of Ayurvedic concepts in this book, but these three archetypes or these three doshas are related to the elements. So these air people, Vata people, they're more likely to have a lot of different ideas and manifestations of their dharma throughout their lives. You know, some people might call them the slashies, like in LA, you know, we have people who are, I, I'm an actor and I'm a model and I sell this thing on Etsy and I, you know, design backyards and this and that. And these things actually really fuel them. Like they want to be doing these things. It's different expressions of their dharma. So your dharma is your soul's purpose. It's the unique frequency in which why you are here. It is the energy that only you can carry. So it's not what you do, but it's how you do it. It's how you show up, the essence you bring, the viewpoint that only you can offer based off of who you are, your archetypes, your childhood, your family, your ancestors, your past lives, all of these factors now form this dharma, which is like your company's mission statement, right? Like I'm here to help people see that they are radically loved, or I'm here to connect women back to their bodies or to make this world a more beautiful place or to help people see that their wildest dreams are possible. So this is like your Dharma, your overarching mission statement. Now under that mission statement, there are different services. Now those air people will probably have a long list of different services of how it shows up. The fire people, pizza people, they're more likely to have like one idea and just really go for it, dedicate their energy to it, continue to build it and redefine it and build on it some more. Now, this doesn't mean they don't have other interests, but the way that their dharma shows up is it's like a full intensity. So Sarah Blakely is an example of this, that she's like, Spanx, I'm doing that. And that is very much her dharma in this lifetime. You know, maybe she plays the flute or does other things with her time, but the way that she's showing up is to solve this one problem. And right. then other people who are more earth, the kapha dosha, they're more likely to find their dharma through their relationships. So for example, for them, being in partnership could be a very huge part of their dharma of just learning from that experience. Motherhood is a very much a part of their dharma. So being in relationship with their friends, with their clients, with their customers, this really is their purpose. And it also informs how their purpose manifests. So for example, someone who's like, I genuinely believe I'm here to be a mom. That is my purpose. So their learnings, their teachings, whatever they bring from that motherhood is probably going to inform them of once their kids grow up, they're going to be continuing to help people through that experience. Maybe they'll create a baby formula or write a book or, you know, help other moms go through the process. But it was through that role of motherhood that it came to be. And then on top of that, you know, we have different 
we would say like a contract, a soul contract with your dharma. So sometimes your dharma, and I break it down into the stages of the chakras, and I know you and your audience lo love the chakras, but sometimes your dharma, a variation of it requires you to just be the doula for it, to bring something to life. Like I'm here to bring this, you know, one-time project to life and I can feel the energy is no longer there. I'm done with it. It just needed to exist. And now my energy is moving on. And sometimes it can run its course for years and years and years. And then you step away from it. But your Dharma is not ever a one-time process. It's more like a mountain range. You know, that first climb to get to the first peak is going to be the most difficult because you've never felt what that feels like before. You probably have made a lot of decisions that have caused you to go to the contrary way, your limiting beliefs, your, your family, all of these things may be going up against you. And then you make it to that Dharma, you being your, the yoga teacher or someone else being, um, you know, a gardener or whatever else that it is that they really want to do. But then they realize it's not just this one summit, it's the mountain range. And then they're like, Oh, I see the view from here and there's much more and more and more for me to grow. So instead of thinking of it like a linear path, I like to think of it like a spiral. Mm -hmm. Like a spiral is something that continues to go and deepen and deepen. And this is how, you know, I really see life of you look at, you look at your Dharma, you look at your relationship with your family, you look at your relationship to your body, you go away, you live your life. And then you come back to those things from a deeper perspective and you go away, you live your life. And then you come back and you come back and you come back. And with living your Dharma, it's not so much about even finding it. It's more remembering it. So as if your dharma is your naked body and throughout your life, you know, the first 20 years of your life or so, you may have put on a bunch of hats and jackets and gloves and scarves and that's, you're never going to make it to this or this makes sense or do this or behave like that. So you're holding on to all of these layers that aren't even yours. And the more that you let go and you take off those socks that tell, told you you were never good enough or that hat that said only, you know, non-creative people can make money or whatever else, the more you unravel, decondition, let go, you remember the truth of who you are. And that's your dharma. Oh, that is so that is so good. I mean, that truly is just the summation of uh, finding your dharma, right? Of being able to discover that that purpose within yourself. Anytime we start a health journey, we can all use a little bit of support. And that's exactly what Paleo Valley provides. Paleo Valley provides products that prioritize nutrient density in an industry that prioritizes everything else. They believe that every dietary choice and every added ingredient is a powerful opportunity to love and care for oneself. And for me, that means doing everything in my power to make sure that my immune health is number one. Their Essential C Complex is a really great way to support your overall immunity. Their turmeric complex soothes joints, muscle discomfort, banishes brain fog, and helps protect against DNA damage. And you guys all know how much I love my greens, all the superfoods. Their organic super greens is the best. It's organic, non-GMO, and they use absolutely no cereal grasses. Make your health number one. Go to paleovalley.com forward slash Rosie, that's R-O-S-I-E, to get your Paleo Valley products today. Use Rosie15 to get an additional 15% off of your order. So visit paleovalley.com forward slash Rosie and enter the code Rosie15 to get an additional 15% off at checkout. And now back to our show. 
what are the five stages of Dharma discovery and which one do you think I'm in? So I laid out these five stages after, you know, interviewing thousands of people, both on the podcast and then also yeah. just like people living their lives. I started to notice these patterns that people would go through. And again, it's not a linear one-time thing. You can continue to spiral through them. Now that stage one is just the self-awareness of something needs to change. I can see where my life is going and I don't like this direction. So it's that spark. I need a shift but you don't really know what that thing is. Stage mm. two is the self-improvement. How can I become the best version of myself? You know, fitness, yoga for the, for the body or flexibility, meditation for anxiety, or just, you know, really for the mind, self-help, personal development, Tony Robbins, motivational speakers. It's really about be your best self, get better at who you are. And this is a really important stage because sometimes we like to, you know, jump into the 5D. We haven't quite mastered the 3D. So we, we need to balance the mind and body. How are we going to live our truth if it's like our bodies are out of, out of whack? In fact, Ayurveda teaches us that the very symptoms of our bodies and balances are telling us where our dharma is out of balance. So for myself, it was you know, through learning about Ayurveda, seeing that I was disconnected from my feminine to the point that I wasn't even getting my period anymore, disconnected from my body, I had to go through that journey of healing my physical body. And in that journey, I started to shift. So what happens in that self-improvement naturally is you begin to notice that you are not a mind and a body that needs to be improved, but rather you are a soul that gets to be known about. So instead of trying to improve yourself, your focus goes to knowing yourself. Who am I? What, what is my human design and my astrology and my gifts and my desires? And you start to really go inward. So you no longer see yourself as this like broken person that needs to get better, but rather already a whole being that hasn't just totally been discovered yet. Yeah. So in this journey, you know, for a lot of people, especially when it's their first time going through this journey, it can feel like that spiritual awakening of the veils have been lifted and oh my goddess, how are people living in this world? And you can feel like you're going crazy, you know, like how are people okay with this? This is, this is wrong. I remember in my stage three, I would write these poems and I'm like, we live in a box. Our minds are a box. The cubicle is a box. The cars are a box. The shopping malls are a box. We must get out of the box. And like, <laughs> that was me and my, very in my stage three. And it can really feel like me against the world. Like yes. I woke up and this world is asleep. And it can feel really like angry and disheveled. And like, how am I going to survive? I need to like go off grid. I was going to India, Bali. I was like, I can never come back to America again because it's so low vibe, you know? And it can feel like that's that separation. Now, this is a, a needed step for different people. And you're like dying right now. <laughs> for different people, different amounts. Some people don't have to move to a hut in India for two years, but I did. Um, and some people are living in this stage as well. But what often happens in this stage of the veils being lifted is you start to realize I can't live in this frantic state forever. I need to find my practices. 
So you start to find your practices, your tools, your teachers, the lineages, the frameworks, the systems that work for you. You know, maybe it is yoga nidra or sound baths or breath work or dance or shamanism. Maybe it's going deeper into your childhood stuff, your ancestral stuff, going even deeper into understanding who you are. And in this stage, there's a feeling of more integration, that it's no longer me against the world. It's, hey, I'm part of this world. I'm, I'm here in this body at this time for a reason. And so I must have some karma here, you know? So instead of me trying to move away from it, how can I make this a better world? So there's a little bit more grounding and deepening in this stage. And oftentimes people feel like they're living a double life. They feel like they're them at their job, doing what they're meant to be doing for work, and then who they are of what they're interested in, the things that they're Googling, the things that they're like wanting to have conversations about. So in this time of feeling like you have a double life, you may realize like slowly and slowly that thing that I'm so interested in, I need to start moving towards that because my passion is there. My excitement is there. My energy is there. And that means it's less and less towards that thing that you may be doing. Again, some people may just keep their job, but shift their roles in it. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to leave your job by any means. However, if you're working this career that's in no alignment with your gifts, who you are and your strengths, and you have this whole world of other interests, it starts to feel like you're in a ja you're a jaguar that's stuck in a cage. And you're like, I need to get out of here because this is killing me. So what happens is you begin sharing more and more of those things that you're interested in. Maybe you share it with some friends, some families, maybe you share a little bit on social media and you start to find more courage in what it is you're doing, you know, more and more, okay, I, I'm getting some great feedback here, or I'm, I'm feeling like I'm moving forward. And that gives you a bit more momentum to start building upon more of that. Now, often from stage four to five in stage four, it can be really about I learned this thing, so I'm gonna share this thing that I learned. Like, hey, here's everything about like human design, or even for me, like I'm teaching, I was teaching Ayurveda, or you're teaching something that exists. But what shifts in that stage five is you begin to find your own way of looking at things. It can be informed by your teachers and the mythologies, mythologies that you've learned, but you find your own magic sauce to it. And again, that could be your own way of doing architecture or your own way of, you know, weaving baskets or whatever else, but it's your own interpretation of it. And you start to share more in that of more in that. Now in this stage, now moving into that stage five, all areas of your life must come into utmost alignment because if they're not, they will hold you back. So in this stage, you may look at your relationships, your friendships, your home, your habits, and you start to realize that anything that is out of alignment is actually preventing you from living your dharma to the fullest expression. Oh, you're like, that. Yeah. Mm, and you're, I want, I'm going to ask more questions on that, but continue. Go ahead. Yeah. So you're like, wow, if I'm continually having that really repetitive conversation with a friend who's just not getting it, that's energy taken away from my dharma. Or if m me and my boyfriend keep fighting over the same shit and neither of us wants to compromise, like, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the right relationship for me. Or if my roommate keeps on, you know, recording my podcast every time I try to get my podcast out there, like maybe this living situation isn't working. So you start to look at all of these different areas of your life and how are they holding me back from me living my fullest expression? And in this now moving into that full body alignment, we enter stage five. 
And stage five is the Dharma embodiment. When who you are on the inside and outside match, you are being you full time. So it no longer feels like the separation of like the inside me that no one really knows about that I have to keep secret to the one that the world sees. You really are able to live in this alignment with who you are. And the energy shifts here from me to we. In the previous stages, the energy needs to be about me because you're learning about self-care, you're learning about boundaries, you're learning about ways to you know, stand up for yourself, whatever it looks like in your unique soul curriculum. However, in stage five, it really becomes about we, seeing your dharma as your way of serving humanity. And now the practices shift. It's not about you feeling good today. It's about you being able to serve your dharma in its fullest capacity. So you begin to be fueled by something that's so much greater than you. And the things that energize you are no longer like, oh, I need to take a bath or I need to like do this thing to get away. It's actually being involved with your dharma. It's when the being and the doing merge. And I call this your sacred doing that when you go so deep into the doing, you are being. And when you go so deep into the being, you can't help but do. And it's really that intersection of the two that becomes your dharma. So for example, for myself, when I'm sharing about this book and about this work, I feel so energized, passionate, charged up. Like I want to keep going forever. And when I'm done with them for the day, I want to go on Instagram live and keep talking about it. Whereas when I've been doing things that were not in alignment with my Dharma, I'm like, get me off this zoom call, you know, and it could be the exact same, exact same hour of the exact same day, but it's what I'm doing. Is it fueling me or not? So every single person has access. And in fact, their birthright is to live in that stage five. You are here to live your life feeling like utmost alignment, utmost clarity, utmost passion. And sometimes you cycle. Sometimes you hit that stage five on something and then it expires and then it's no longer the thing that serves you. And you go back, maybe you go back into stage three. It's another layer of awakening. Or maybe yeah. you go into stage four of like, you know what? I don't hate this, but I feel like I have more to learn. So again, it's that spiral of deepening and deepening and deepening, but it's the witnessing of yourself. If it doesn't feel like that stage five, if it doesn't feel like that this is how I am meant to spend my time and this is how I can truly be of highest service to humanity and in my highest joy, then that is not your dharma. Oh, so much of what you said. I mean, I am perpetually, I feel like in stage four, um, just in the last couple of years. So that's what I'm finding is that I, I feel like my uh, sort of desire to create something else is, is shifting, you know, obviously like we've talked about this a little bit, but, um, I'm actually more curious now because you were very, very open about your, um, the issues that you were having with, with your parents about your Dharma. And you talked a little bit about how, when the people in your life aren't you're not in alignment, if the people in your life are, you know, kind of taking away from that energy. And I, I think it's something I I would say, even, even in just like reading the book and just from my own experience that I feel like the biggest energy suck is the relationships in your life that aren't helping your dharma. Um, so I have a couple of questions regarding that is 
what what do you do when when you do have parents that aren't supportive or you have a partner a romantic partner that isn't isn't supportive of your dharma what do you do with that and um how do people express in a in a loving and kind way that they are being affected by somebody else's lack of support. Mm. So my answer to parents would be different than partner because of just, you know, your, your parents had you knowing that you were going to be your own sovereign ass being like that was, that was in the agreement, you know, like you don't have a kid like, okay, I'm going to control this little thing's life forever. Right. Like it is like 18 years max. Hopefully they're not even controlling you for the full 18. So oh. <laughs> that is the agreement of being a parent. You don't have a kid with the expectation of controlling their lives. You are a sovereign being. So oftentimes our, our parents, you know, a lot of people's listening's parents are probably in the baby boomer generation. And the focus then was really on survival. The focus was on how can I fit in? How can I keep up with the Joneses? How can I look like I don't have any problems? And that means I'm successful. Now, on top of that, add if they're immigrants, like our parents, that there's a whole other layer of insecurity, of needing to fit in, of you know, really trying to show I made it here in America and wanting to make sure your kids are your living proof of that. Mm. On top of that, add that in many different cultures, it's a still much more tribal mentality. So it's not about like I come first, it's actually the, the tribe comes first, the tribe being the family unit. So this concept of you living your Dharma straight up, it just, they've never heard of it in ancient times they had, but in our modern history, when, you know, there's really been this mass forgetting, we are, most of our parents were not taught, you know what, you need to follow your purpose. That wasn't a conversation. So I like to think of it like Maslow's hierarchy, you know, like at the bottom there's, you need to feel like you're safe baseline survival needs. And until you have that, you're not going to reach towards the wants. And those are, you know, it would be nice to have the, the minivan or the white picket fence or whatever. And then you have that and you're like, wait, I actually am still empty. I need self-actualization. So being born in the U S you are born with an amount of privilege, you know, and it's, and it's, it's important to recognize and it's important to not feel apologetic about because just because you were born with privilege doesn't mean you have to now denote that because your parents didn't have it. You know, they came to this country or they had you for you to live a better life. So often what happens is we become a different person. We don't, we're not that person that they thought they would have. They've never seen someone like us before. On top of that, the world is changing. The internet is changing. Jobs exist today that have never existed in their time. So when you say, oh, I want to become a tantric yoga teacher, they're like, what? What is that? That's, cr that's crazy. I've never heard of that before. Or I'm going to write a book on modernizing Ayurveda. They're like, no, that's not like, here are the list of the 50 careers that are possible. Like, you know, you like to communicate right. lawyer. That's the one that fits lawyer, lawyer, you know? <laughs> so here we are two generations, two worldviews, two different stages of the Maslow's hierarchy. And then on top of that, it's this feeling of shame and guilt that often runs families that, you know, my own family, I know your family and a lot in different cultures, shame and guilt yeah. is there is a means of control. And it's yeah. that if I don't like the direction you're going, I'm going to use shame and guilt to make you feel so bad that you stay the same. Mm 
So what happens is you begin to kind of emotionally outgrow your family. And this doesn't mean you're better than them. They still have so much to teach us in their own ways. But the very things that you want, that you're thinking about, the depths that you want to go to, they've never experienced that before. So they become afraid of losing you. They feel like you're a stranger to them. And that hurts them. And they feel like you're going to go on and live this other life and they're not even going to know who you are. And then you feel guilty of my parents sacrificed for me. They worked so hard for me. They gave up all of these things for me. So who am I to go choose my own life? You know, I remember my mom would say, I did so much for you. Can't you just do this one thing for me? This one thing being my life, you know, like that's not one thing. But the way yeah. that they see it is yeah. you're selfish. If you're, you're hurting me, you don't see that you're hurting me and you still don't care. That's so selfish of you. So yeah. until we have that like cultural and generational understanding and we can have compassion for their experience, you know, it helps that helps us make sense of it. Now, it's not our job to fix or heal them. It's not our job to make them feel like they have a control of us when that was never part of the plan. So every family is going to, you know, require a different pathway depending on your relationships, et cetera. The way that it went for mine was I had to become comfortable with not having a relationship with them, with my dad saying he never wants to speak to me again, that I am dead to his eyes and that I am no longer his child. For me, it had to hit that point for me to realize, you know what? Even if I do everything that he wants me to do, he's still never going to be proud of me and I'm still never going to be enough. So, it's either that, and I live with the forever regret of not trying, not knowing my full potential. And then I also could never even be the daughter they want me to be because I'm forever going to be resentful of them too. So it's either that path or it's me trying. And frankly, if they don't want to talk to me or have me in their life because they don't like my career choices, then that isn't love. So I had to be okay with not having a relationship with my family potentially forever. And it had to get to that level for me because subconsciously I was always living for their approval. I was living for their gold star and for their like yeah. validation. So I had to divorce myself from that. And I went back to India where I spent the next year and I didn't have any contact with them because I was so used to, I did this thing. What do you think? Yeah. For different people, it may not get to that point. But one of the practices I share in the book is when you think about you living your dharma and you're afraid, write down what is the worst thing that could happen. And from there, write, and then what? And then go back, and then what? And then what? And then what? So for mine, it was like, okay, the worst thing that can happen is my parents never speak to me again. And then what? Well, I won't have a relationship with them. And then what? You know, I'll I'll really miss them. And then what? Well, I'll probably find friends as family. And then what? Well, those friends will probably support me. And then what? I'll probably have more energy and momentum towards my dharma. And then what? I'll be a happier person. And then what? I'll truly be free. So sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is actually the best thing that can happen to you because it's what makes you free. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is so good. Um, there's this uh, it's in yoga, it's the practice of vichara, you know, and we, we do that as we're going through the differences of the eight limbs. And it's, it's that same inquiry, but I really like how you framed it in that way that, and then what, you know, it's like, yeah, because it's, it's really basic. Here's my fear. And then what, and then, and then this will happen. And then what, 
to get you to a place of being uh, grounded within yourself. It gets you into a, a state of feeling more confident about what you're doing, or at least being self-regulating so that you're okay. And I feel like for a lot of, you know, first and second generation kids, that approval thing is a, is a big deal, you know? Um, I, because if you grew up with parents like ours, they were constantly, uh, backhandedly or outwardly guilting you about how hard it was for them and how lucky you should feel about the opportunity that you have. So what about if you're romantically linked with somebody, I'll give you an example, like, and I wrote about this in the book, uh, specifically with, with Tori and I, we were kind of going through a rough patch and I was ultra spiritual, you know, I was like doing all these spiritual things. And I felt like uh, if he only knew, if he only was on the same path as me, if he was only, if he only came to this workshop with me, then he would like see that he's totally locked and blocked, you know? And so I, I, you, I, in, in the book, I wrote about how it was really my own spiritual altruism that I was trying to force something. And I wasn't really accepting the fact that he was in his own spiritual practice. It just didn't look like mine. Right. My favorite thing about a new year is starting with a fresh and clean slate. I don't know about you, but 2020 really gave me the ample space I needed to indulge in anything and everything. I did not regret it. I just was definitely not feeling my healthiest. So this year, I committed to being my healthiest self, and I don't just mean to lose weight. Thanks to FitTrack, I can get in-depth insights on my fitness progress and reach goals faster. FitTrack is all about measuring health, not just weight. The DARA Smart Scale measures 17 vital health metrics, including BMI, hydration levels, muscle mass, and so much more. With FitTrack, I get personalized insights and a clear picture of my overall health. That's because the DARA Smart Scale accurately hones in on my unique body type and gives me the information I need to get the results that I want. Health is so much more than a number on a scale. I believe that knowledge is power, and it's not about self-deprecating but about allowing yourself to know what is happening in your body and the different ways that you can utilize the knowledge that you have to get better results. So stop measuring your weight and start measuring your health with FitTrack. Go to getfittrack.com forward slash loved to take 50% off of your order. Plus, for a limited time, you'll also save an additional 10% off. That's G-E-T-F-I-T-T-R-A-C-K dot com forward slash loved to save 50% plus get an additional 10% off of your order. Let's begin our health journey together. Get fittrack.com forward slash loved. So I'm curious in, in your perspective and pertaining to the book, like what is your perception of that and how does somebody navigate that? So I think that what really matters is, is it preventing you from living your own Dharma? You know, my ex who, you know, I lived with in India, he was not spiritual, but also was on a destructive path of, you know, gambling a lot and smoking a ton of weed and really was not on his purpose. And being around him made me 
like pissed off. Like why, like, why are you like this? I was in the mother role all the time and it would detract my energy from living my purpose. And he was like afraid of who I was becoming, you know, it was so weird and woo woo. And like a lot of times people in India, when they see like, cause it's very Westernized, everyone there wants to be Westernized. So here I am getting like even more and more Indian than him that he was like, I don't like this direction that you're going into. So he, he was actively preventing me from living my Dharma. And in fact, I would perpetually rehearse in my head how I would break up with him if I would. But I was like, I'm not going to, we're probably going to get married. But if I were to break up with him, here's exactly what I would say. Wow. So when you're in wow. those types of situations, mm. it's like, you're just holding on for comfort, but yeah. he's not going anywhere. And if he's also open about, no, I'm never going to be into this stuff. I don't, I'm not into that. And it's holding you back. And again, we did not have kids and we were not married. So it was also easier to leave the relationship that it became blatantly obvious to me that if I'm going to live my life in full alignment, this is a really big thing to not be in alignment. Now, my husband now he's also not ultra spiritual like yogi guru though he's he's actually kind of becoming that way on his own path but I when i met him he you know worked in edm dance music and like definitely didn't have the man bun that i thought my partner would have but he was always very supportive of my path. He always was like, I love what you're doing. I love how passionate you are. Like, tell me more about your book. So he was always inspiring me, even though, you know, he wasn't into the same stuff. He was always pushing me to be more of that, never detracting me from it. And yeah, there were many times I was like, come to this workshop or you should do this or like grow your hair out or wear these clothes. Like, <laughs> I definitely tried, but I actually really respect that he never, never budged. He's like, this is... This is who I am. And I actually really respected that. And now today we joke around and call him Guru Haddad because he has his own wisdom in his own way, but it, it looks completely different. And if you saw him on the street, his spiritual practice is producing music, you know? So I think it just depends. Is it holding you back? Is it something that like you keep going into circles of I need to get out of this? Or is it like, hey, it doesn't really look like we're um, yoga couples goal hashtag, but <laughs> but we're still helping each other on our journeys. Yeah. So I think the key thing that you said that which I absolutely love is that you said if it's preventing you from living your dharma, it's not, oh, well, what you need to say to them is this or what you need to do. It's like, no, if they're preventing you from living your dharma, then you already know the answer to that question, whether it's serving you or not. Mm -hmm. um, I find that to be so, so true. Um, one of the things that I really loved reading about was the dharma blueprint. Mm -hmm. So everybody has a dharma blueprint, right? Yeah. And it changes. That's what I was just going to ask. Can you just tell us just a tiny little bit? I know we're, we're kind of cutting it close on time, but... Yeah. So, you know, for me, when I was writing the book, I kept going back to, well, what would I have thought when I was reading this? And I had no idea what my purpose was. And I was like, I remember reading these spiritual books and they're like, you are a divine being of light. And I'm like, what do I do with my time? Like, what action do I take? Like, I need, I need the system. <laughs> Drop the 30 day plan, yo. <laughs> Drop it. Give me the 21 day challenge, you know? Exactly. I was like, I need it laid out. So I kept writing it thinking, okay, I would have thought this was way too out there. 
bring it down, bring it down, bring it down. On top of that, the editor who was editing the book was like super not spiritual. So she was like, I still don't know what my dharma is. I was like, okay, I need every single motherfucker to read this book to know their dharma. (laughs) Like that is the goal. (laughs) You pick it up, boom. So I created this dharma blueprint system and it basically combines these five different areas. The first being your Dharma archetype. I have a whole quiz. You can you can take it at dharmaarchetypequiz.com, which I go further into in the book. But there are different Dharma archetypes, teacher, visionary, researcher, nurturer, warrior, activist, entertainer, um, artist. These are the nine Dharma archetypes. And we're a variation of all of them, but in different amounts. So it's your Dharma archetype. It is the thing that you are excited about. Now, this is what can make it change because excitement shifts. It's sort of like that little, you know, that cat treat in front of you and you keep going towards it. And it's really, I call them excitement are the breadcrumbs to your dharma. It's like the ignition of the fire. The excitement is what's going to propel you into action. So it's what you're currently excited about. And it could be, you know, I have different practices, but it could be a list of different things that you're excited about. The mediums that come through you? Are you into writing, speaking, blogging, drawing, um, creating research, you know, modeling? What are the mediums that come through you? And it could be, again, several. Obstacles that you have overcome or helped others overcome. Again, it can be as big as a cancer journey or a near-death experience or as you know, and I'm putting this in air quotes because not I don't like to compare traumas. I feel like sometimes we do that, but it, a lot of times people think nothing life-defining has happened to me. So I feel like I don't have a dharma. But you know, mm-hmm. then I talk to them and they're like, Yeah, I moved around new schools every year, so I had to get really good at making friends. I'm like, there's an obstacle you've overcome. Or I never felt comfortable yeah. with my body, so I had to learn ways to dress to make me feel confident. Like that's an obstacle you've overcome. So it could be any type of obstacle that you have personally overcome or helped someone else overcome. And I break them down in many different ways. And then um the last one is your superpower. So what is your superpower, your magic sauce, that thing that you bring? So oftentimes we don't realize our own superpowers, but it's so easy to see in other people. Like you can think of your different friends and you're like, oh, their superpower is this or that. And again, we can have different ones, but a good example to a good practice actually to help you find yours is to ask your friends, when have you seen me at my best? When have you seen me at my best? I remember I put this on my Instagram story and I was thinking, oh, you know, when you're like talking about the deep Ayurvedic wisdom and they were all like, when you're twerking, when you're DJing, when you're dancing, I was like, wait, what? That's like 1% of what I do. And they're all saying that's when they've seen me at my best because I felt free and alive and embodied and that stuck with them. And that, you know, I I share a lot how the things that you're often the most ashamed about are actually the things that really define your dharma. So when have you seen me at my best is a really good one. Um, The things that people compliment you on that you might hear of like, you always make me feel so heard and seen, or you throw such an epic dinner party, or you're so organized, like those things are, you know, they're unique to you. Or what do your friends come to for advice? You know, if you got a text message and it's a friend, I need your advice. Like Rosie, for you, what do you think it would say? For me? Yeah, I'm like, like, I I feel like I text you this all the time. But what if if you saw a text from a random friend, I need your advice. What do you think it's going to be? No, I I feel like it's just how to deal with other people sometimes, you know? 
Um, I, I don't know. I guess I, I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. I feel like helping people navigate life's problems. Yeah. I mean, for, yeah, I feel like anytime I get a text, you know, is, yeah, like how do I deal with this situation or what is the best way to deal with this or, or needing perspective? Like I'm such a good, I, I'm a really good at giving people perspective, you know, pulling out of a situation and looking at it from a different vantage point because I can truly uh, become Switzerland. Like I can disconnect and be like, okay, what is the end goal in this situation? I feel like that for me has, has really, and I think just similar to you, you know, with having the parents that I did, um, my parents separated when I was 10. And so I always had to be the, um, moderator. I had to be the go between with them communicating and they would say something really hurtful to the other person. And I would not repeat how they said it. I would always be like, they said this, you know, oh, to, to even just alleviate that intensity, because I feel like we're such react reactive beings that I feel like one of my superpowers is to, unless it's my own shit, then I'm super reactive. I mean, let's be honest, you know that like, I will totally be the first one to flip my shit. But when it comes to other people, I can be very calm. I love that. You can see things from a bird's eye perspective. You could see life like characters and see the bigger story arcs in them. This is all part of your dharma. So, you know, like for myself, like people often come to me like with help of like getting their message off the ground or like with mm -hmm. their businesses or this or that. And like, that's part of my dharma of how I'm here to serve for someone else. It could be a relationship issue or I need help with my branding or graphic design. So people are seeing you as the expert in their lives on this thing. And that means that this is somehow related to your dharma. So I have a process that you yeah. put these different categories together and it really points you towards what should you be taking action towards right now. And it allows it to shift because something like your Dharma archetypes, those probably won't shift that much throughout your life. It could like a little bit, but it's really like, if you're a researcher, you're not going to suddenly become like a warrior overnight. Like it's very different ways of right. seeing the world. However, the things that you're excited about will shift. The mediums that you prefer will shift. So this will make your Dharma blue blueprint now take another direction. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And truly like, you know, reading, reading the book, I, I, I took it from a perspective to like, I had to really check my ego, right? Because I'm like, I already know my purposes. Like I'm reading this because this is my friend's story and I want to know about it. And I want to learn, I want to learn something. I did not. I, so I was coming at it from, you know, I was trying to come at it from beginner's mind, like, okay, like put myself back in my 20 year old self. Like how, how was I, but what I found as I was reading it, I was like, wow, with evaluating everything and the questions, I was like, well, well hold on a second. Like how happy am I really? And how, how is what I'm doing really fueling that, that, that purpose and, and how it's okay. It, it just made me feel like okay with inquiring within and not feeling like, oh, I, I have to have it figured out or I already have it figured out, you know, because you do talk about how these things shift and change. And, um, I feel like I've changed so much from my early twenties to my late twenties to my early thirties to now, you know, the closer I am to 40 and I'm sure it will continue to change. But as you said in the book, I mean, the, 
the undercurring foundation is still to raise consciousness. And to me, that it was just such a beautiful way that you really elaborated on giving people a how to like, you'd be like, Oh, you're struggling with this. This is what you can do. You know? So you really, you really went there and, and I really, I love that. And, and I just, I love hearing your voice, you know, and, and hearing you uh, live your Dharma. You know, that's the other thing that is so inspiring about being friends with people like you or people that are living their Dharma is that it really lights you up and it, it makes you feel some type of way. So that that's a really great barometer to surrounding yourself with people that are in that alignment. Because when you're in alignment and your friends are in alignment, it creates this surge of power within you and it makes you feel like you can do you can do anything you know i'm gonna try to not get emo i'm getting emotional like this is so intense i'm just like oh my god look at that living our our dharma but it's so true you know to be able to feel so uh alive and free to share with your friends who are doing the same type of work that you're doing um yeah it's it it's so important to have that community. And I know that this is your, the basis of your entire career business and, and belief system. I mean, you have rose gold goddesses, you've got this membership that you wanted to create with, with these types of uh, foundations where it's like, like-minded people, like-minded women, you wanted to create ritual, you wanted to create a circle of, of like-minded women to support each other. And I, I feel like, um, yeah, it comes down to being in that alignment with your dharma. And I'm just, I'm so, so grateful. Thank you so much, Queen. And yes, I think it's so important to allow the iterations of our dharma to evolve. You know, and one of the things that we often do is we hold on to something that was once working when it no longer is. And we're like, oh, well, I have clients, I have customers, people are wanting this thing from me, but it's no longer in alignment with who you are now. So it's that allowance of letting it go. The, the three stages of Dharma that I speak about is the Vata, the idea, you come up with the idea, you're so excited about it. The Pitta, the execution, the doing it, but then it's the Kapha, the reevaluation. And oftentimes when it's working, we're like, okay, I worked so hard on this, so I gotta just keep doing it forever. And yeah. it becomes that smoldering plate that's like burning you and burning you and burning you, but you won't let go. So the only way that you can let this next iteration come through is to give it the space so it can land. Mm. Oh, so good. Listen to this, my friends. Um, with that being said, I'm going to, I'm going to close our, our, closing arguments. I don't know. You said lawyer and I'm like, I could totally see you as, a, as an attorney right now. Like, closing closing argument, argument. Live your dharma. There's no other way to be. The end. Exactly. The end. That is it. Uh, those of you listening, please get this book. It is an incredible read. And truly, if, if you're struggling with trying to find out what your purpose is, if you're, if you're feeling what we talked about today, this book will definitely get you there. And uh, for everybody else that's watching this or listening to this, I will put the archetype quiz in the show notes as well as all of the links that you can connect with Sahara in. Uh, so just go to the info button. You can get all of that there. Uh, with that being said, 
I feel like I'm not, have you, I was on your show. I'm like, I feel like I haven't asked you the final question in a long time. I wonder if it's, if it's different. Um, the final question is how do you feel radically loved? Mm, I feel radically loved when I'm letting my natural expression come through. That's good. It's power, power, power move. Uh, I love you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. You're the best. Uh, thank you so much you. for having me for all of your support, guys. Rosie truly is who she says she is on the internet. Believe her. She is amazing. You're even more magical <laughs> off the internet, which is rare in today's world. So I just want to commend you for being like a true ass ride or die, like, Love, like loving, powerful, compassionate, <laughs> wise, tantrika, oh, like oh, all of the things oh. you really, and you know, your audience members, I can imagine are, are, are like you if they're attracted to you and your work. So I'm just so grateful to be here sharing space with you all. That's so amazing. I'll uh, Venmo you for that here in a second. <laughs> Just add it to your bio. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Love you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.